I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm reading from chapter 10 of my book, How to Plant and Grow a Church. The subject is evangelism. And I'm going to be talking about how to lead an evangelism campaign in your new church, how to be effective in your personal evangelism, and how to make disciples through evangelism. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. The CLIMB Conference is coming up November 30th through December 3rd in Dallas, Texas. I'd like to ask you to register today at robskinner.com if you haven't already. It's going to be an amazing, amazing conference that will inspire you, equip you, train you, and prepare you to do amazing things in 2024. It's going to be filled with people like yourselves, people who are eager to advance God's kingdom, to grow, to learn, to make friends, to develop partnerships with people from around the world. We've got amazing speakers who are going to absolutely thrill your soul. They're going to inspire you by what they have to share from the word. Please, please, please sign up at robskinner.com if you haven't already, and I look forward to seeing you in Dallas. Chapter 10, Evangelism, the leader's example in evangelism. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Luke chapter 4, 42 through 44. Jesus had a clear vision for his mission and the ability to translate that into action. He not only talked about the necessity to preach and proclaim, but he also kept on doing and set a powerful example that impacts us 2,000 years later. His leadership style was non-reactive and self-directed. He was the one who determined his agenda. He did not allow others to hijack his schedule, time, or mission. Imagine being given the overwhelming task of saving the whole world. Where would you start? Jesus was able to say no to second-best things, and say yes to his primary mission. You must translate your vision into action. This is one of the most obvious and at the same time most challenging things that you're going to face. The concept of evangelism is understood by all Christians. The reality is that most don't do it regularly, if at all. You as a mission team leader must be the exception. Action is king. Some had spoken as well as he or better. Gandhi's greatness lay in doing what others might do, but don't. Leaders who have changed the world have done it by applying concepts into dramatic action. It's all about you and what you do. Like Christ, our schedule needs to be mission-directed and action-oriented. For you to grow your church, the following must happen. First of all, invite people. Second, follow up with them. And third, set up and lead Bible studies with them. 
If these three things happen repeatedly, starting with you, your church will grow. Now that seems unbelievably straightforward, doesn't it? If you can model the obvious and call others to do the same, I guarantee you, you'll save people with regularity. So what does that mean practically? Share your faith consistently. Share with a minimum of 100 people per month. 200 is better. In preparing the mission planting to Tucson, Arizona, I evaluated my years spent on mission to Ashland, Oregon, my previous planting. One of the weaknesses there was my personal evangelism. I shared my faith, but I wish that I had met more people personally who became Christians. I decided that was going to change in Tucson. I read a book on church planting that said a church planter should share with about 1,000 people the first year. That's roughly 100 people per month. I decided to double that and challenged myself to invite 200 people per month. That single decision caused my first five years in Tucson to be the most satisfyingly fruitful period of my entire Christian life, including my college years. I met and converted families, students, singles, single moms, all types of people. It was a total blast. And it wasn't rocket science. The only change was to increase the number of people I personally reached out to. If you're serious about setting the pace and saving people, increase your invitations to 100 or more a month. What else? Walk on campus four to five times per week. I was 46 years old when we planted the church across the street from the University of Arizona. I felt self-conscious about sharing on campus. Amazingly enough, I've never been told by a student that you're too old to be on campus. Students are remarkably kind and receptive to church invitations. If you have a college in your town, walk through campus as much as you can. You can invite 20 kids in 30 minutes. It's amazing. If you don't have one, go to where the people are. Just this last fall, I was sharing on campus, and I was 50, let's see, 57, I guess, and met a kid named Hudson who became a Christian. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's all in your mind. We get so freaked out because we think we're just too old or too out of it or too this or too that. Listen, get over yourself and preach the word. What else? Follow up with people. It's weird how our mind works. There have been many times when I psych myself up to reach out and invite people to church. I challenge myself to share with 20 people. Then I'm so proud of myself that I overcame my fear. I, I, I lose track of the goal to save someone. I don't keep track of anyone's phone number or I never call people back, even if they said they were looking for a church. This is why... This is one reason why more people aren't getting saved. Evangelism is a process, not one single activity. So you got to invite someone to church, follow up, and remind them to come to church by text or call, and then welcome them at church and invite them to join your small group. So that's three steps. Invite someone, follow up with them. Third, welcome them at church or Bible talk. And then fourth, ask them to study the Bible or join a membership class. And then fifth, baptize them. We can get so self-satisfied that we accomplish step number one that we ignore or avoid step number two and the following steps. So follow up. We need to become great at following up with those we've met. Here's what I do. First of all, keep a stack of follow-up cards. Have you ever had the experience of scrolling through your contacts in your phone and you spotted a name you didn't recognize? After a while, you get the sinking suspicion that the name is a person you invited to church a while back and who seemed open at the time. The problem is you never followed up with them. Now, you're caught in a dilemma at this point. You can either call them and go through, go through the awkward process of helping the person remember who you are and how you invited them to your church two months ago, 
or you can just delete the number and kick yourself for wasting all the effort you put into reaching out in the first place. This is the problem with recording people's numbers in your phone contacts. It's too easy to lose track of people. By the time you do get back to them, it's often awkward and embarrassing to remind people who you are. I like to use 3x5 cards. Take a 3x5 card with you, and after talking to a person, having a discussion, write the person's name with their phone number and as much descriptive information on the card as you can. Put the date you met them, what they look like, what you talked about, and anything else that'll help you keep the interaction fresh in your mind. Every Friday or Saturday, set aside 10 minutes to call or text the person and invite them to church. Write down the date you called and whether you called, texted, or left a voicemail message. After three attempts at contacting the person, throw the card away if they show no interest in coming. They're probably not interested. There's no point in working with people who are not seeking with all their heart. If a person responds positively but has a valid excuse for not coming and seems interested, you might extend the follow-up period to five times at the most. The value of this system is that it keeps your most open people in front of you so that they don't get forgotten. It's also a reminder when your cards dwindle that it's time to start looking for more people to reach out to. Next step, get into Bible studies. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, Acts chapter 5, 42. There's a reason the early church grew so explosively. The primary leaders consistently preached and taught the Bible. I can't stress this enough. But whether you're a paid or non-paid church planter, your example in evangelism sets the tone and creates the culture of your church. The members of your church need to see you actively inviting and studying the Bible with people. You're the one who has the most experience, and your members will learn from you what they should be living for. Start with a goal of 20 Bible studies per month. Think about it this way. If there are 20 workdays in the month, you're teaching the Bible personally every day. If you're not doing that, what's your profession? The apostles got others to take care of secondary work in Acts chapter 6 so they could open up time in their schedule to keep preaching the Word. It's easy to waste your precious time on secondary matters rather than keeping the main thing the main thing. Keep track and monitor these activities for growth and improvement. As mentioned in the section on accountability, I like to keep track of how many personal Bible studies or membership classes I'm leading. At times, I'll challenge myself to 30 studies in 30 days or even 90 in 90 days. The principal idea that you need to keep in mind is that you want your church to grow. For it to increase, people need to be invited followed up with, and then taught the gospel. If you as the leader are doing these things with regularity, your church can't help but grow. You might be wondering, what about discipling and lesson preparation? In the first couple of years of a church planting, your members will be discipled best by a living example of a man or woman on fire for saving the lost. Not only that, but as you get into Bible studies regularly, you'll know in detail what seekers are looking for, struggling with, and needing to hear from the Bible. Your Sunday and Wednesday lessons will be easier to construct because, because your hand is on the pulse of several different seekers. The Church's Evangelism I've heard it said that the one thing both Christians and non-Christians have in common is that they both hate evangelism. Last summer, I went to a, an evangelism conference. It wasn't related to our family of churches, but it was sponsored by somebody else in the, in the Christian evangelical world. 
And it was interesting. He said, he'd start, the speaker started talking about evangelism. And there was like a groan in the room. He says, yeah, I know you guys don't like evangelism. And what's amazing is that the room was filled with ministers. Everyone in there was a minister of a church. And it just, just hit me and go, man, no wonder our churches are struggling. It's We really struggle with this concept of evangelism. No matter how much you may like evangelism or at least feel confident in it, it's important to understand the, the powerful reluctance most Christians feel at the thought of evangelism. It causes anxiety at best and terror at worst. Your job as a church leader is to do all in your power to lower the bar of fear that prevents well-intended disciples from opening their mouth. You want to make evangelism as manageable as possible. One way to make it easier is to define what you mean by evangelism. Many people think that evangelism consists of having a quote-unquote sales pitch or knowing all the scriptures in the Bible in case someone asks them a question or being able to share your testimony at will. Those kind of mental barriers will preclude the clear majority of Christians from even trying to open their mouth. Instead, define evangelism as simply inviting people to your church or Bible talk. Something like, hi, like to invite you to a great church. If they can say that and hand someone a card, they have quote-unquote evangelized. If you get enough people inviting one person a day, someone out there is going to take that invitation and come to church. That's why it's so important always to have good invitation cards available. Even before you go on a mission planting, come up with a good logo and design with your church's information on it and order I don't know, 1,000, 5,000, put them in people's hands. Don't cut costs on evangelism cards. Place one or two of them on each person's seat on Wednesday and Sunday. Ask people to take them home. Organize one-a-day campaigns that call people to invite a new person every day for a week. You know, give people the one-a-day challenge. If people have a card in their hand, they're far more likely to evangelize than if they're forced to rely only on their personality or speaking skills. So make it easy for people. Next, mobilize your church for evangelism. Putting cards in people's hands is a good start to encourage evangelism, but you'll need to mobilize your people if you want them to get out there and share consistently. The easiest way to share as a group is through servant evangelism, which I covered earlier. In the first couple of years of a planting, schedule two-hour Saturday servant evangelism activities twice monthly. Your members understand that evangelism is the reason they've moved to the town you're living in, so don't be afraid of overdoing it. Here are some ideas to get you started with active group evangelism. A gum giveaway. I like to give away Wrigley's gum, like Juicy Fruit or Double Mint or Spearmint. Those are great gums if you can find them. I usually get them at like Sam's Club. Protein bars. I've given those away in front of a gym. I met a a woman who became a Christian, then she converted her whole family. It was really awesome. Candy giveaways. Water bottles. I met this basketball player at the University of Arizona giving away water bottles in June in Tucson. It's really hot there. So he he came up, and he's just a new new student and a new athlete. Studied the Bible with him that summer and became a Christian. A free car wash. We've done that. We've done window and counter cleaning. We give away Klondike bars which are like ice cream cones, snow cone giveaways in the summer. We, we call them EGs in Tucson, which is like a snow cone. And we just scoop it out and give it to people and invite them to church. We've gone out with door hangers in the neighborhood and knock on people's doors and, and then leave door hangers on their invitation cards on their door handle. We've done a bike raffle. 
Money's often tight with a new planting, and it's common to look for ways to cut back expenses. One budget item you don't want to cut back on is advertising and evangelism products. Instead, try to increase your budget for outreach and evangelism to 5 to 10% of your budget. Evangelism will grow your church, and it'll bring in more people and more money. So don't cut what you really need to make it grow. Thanks for listening. Here's how you can help support the program. First of all, hit the subscribe button and send a link to your friends. Let people know about it. Secondly, read and review one of my books, either How to Plant and Grow a Church or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find them on Amazon.com because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.